Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson, and it's so great to have you here with us on this Friday, March 24th, 2023. Exciting time of year as we're discussing everything going on in the life of Duke basketball. We certainly hope that we were talking about Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games this weekend, but alas, that's not the case for this Duke program. On today's show, my good pal Brendan Marks of The Athletic makes his return. We're going to put a bow on the 2022-2023 season, talk about some roster decisions players have to make, and so much more. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow our show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. I'm on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore Lockdown Blue Devils is a daily podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Watch us on YouTube. We are so close to passing that 1,000 subscriber mark, which is a massive milestone in the YouTube community. So thank you so much for your support there of Lockdown Blue Devils. Without further ado, however, let me bring on my pal. It's Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Hey, Brendan, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. And like I've been saying, uh, I think the season ended a little bit sooner than many folks in Durham wanted it to. Uh, it, it definitely ended sooner than I thought it was going to. I already had my flight booked to New York, so I had to go <laughs> ahead and cancel that. But uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. No doubt. So no win for Duke in the round of 32 uh, against Tennessee. We've talked about the game a lot this week, and we'll continue to do that a little bit here with your perspective. Uh, you could read Brendan's work at The Athletic. I was just blown away by this headline you were able to put together. Bloody hell, Blue Devils NCAA tournament run ends at the hands and elbows of Tennessee. And if that doesn't sum up what we saw in the round of 32, I mean, my, oh, my, what a gift you have, man. That is a perfect summation of what took place. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember sitting there courtside, and, you know, I don't think it was even five minutes into the game. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with the other writers, and I go, wow, you know, Tennessee is really, you know, knocking Duke back. You know, they're really getting hit in the face. And, and somebody next to me looks at me and goes, literally. Uh, they they literally are getting hit in the face. So yeah, it was um, it was it was a it was a bloody game. It was a physical game. I, I put some of that stuff in my story afterwards. And um, yeah, I, I you know it, it was as physical as physical as it appeared to be on TV. I've gone back and I've watched the broadcast. Uh, it was even more so in person. It was you know ba- basically a box a boxing match on a basketball floor. I mean, like right away. I mean, Filipowski's pushed underneath the basket. We've got a couple of flagrant foul review calls three, four minutes into a basketball game. It seemed pretty clear that that was kind of uh, what Tennessee wanted to do, a good game plan by the Vols, and they were able to execute. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think they said after the war- afterwards, uh, Olivier Kamwa said, we wanted to drag them down into the mud with us. And that was what 100% what happened, and – you know, those were the games where Duke, Duke, frankly, didn't have too many of those games this year where it was truly going up against a group of grown, grizzled men. And um, so I do think that they were a little bit caught off guard. Obviously, we're shorthanded and dealing with, you know, a very physical Tennessee team. Um, if, if there was a guy you probably don't want missing that game, it's the one who did. And um, so I think there's going to be some what ifs that linger for sure for Duke fans. 
What'd you make of that? I mean, it caught everybody by surprise. Connor O'Neill was on the program with us earlier in the week, talking about being there in Orlando as you were and uh, seeing starters listed with Mark Mitchell's name being there. And all of a sudden, you're figuring things out as the TV broadcast is going and the events are unfolding in front of you. From your perspective, what'd you make of all that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it it was not actually announced until, you know, probably – five minutes, not even five minutes before tip. I mean, wow. like the, the, the lights in the arena had already gone down. We're getting ready for player introductions. And this tweet comes up from the Duke men's basketball account, you know, Whitehead starting Mitchell questionable knee. And, you know, again, as you know, JJ, I, I compare everything that I do between Duke and Carolina. So, you know, because I cover those teams so frequently, um, there have been several times this year where North Carolina would list the player as questionable, usually Armando Baycott or Pete Nance. Um, Questionable means they ain't playing. Uh, <laughs> and so to me, uh, that, that was just staggering right off the gate. And, I, you know, I think some of the difference is if this were a home game or even a game on the road, uh, just where it's not so formulaic with NCAA tournament protocols pregame, you can usually watch the guys for an extended period pregame and get a good sense of, okay, who, is, who looks good, who doesn't look good, who's cold to someone dealing with an injury or whatever. You couldn't really do that just because guys have to be on and off the floor because the NCAA does have this pretty tight schedule. And so, uh, yeah, certainly as soon as it came, it was like, well, that is not a good kind of surprise. And obviously that's how it played out too. Year one in the books for the John Shire era as Duke falls to Tennessee in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. We spent a lot of time talking about Coach Shire and the job he did in his first year. Had a staff around him that helped make Duke basketball a good team so far this season on their way to the ACC Tournament Championship. And we'll discuss some of that, decisions ahead for players, and a whole lot more after our first time out here on today's episode of the program. Locked on Blue Devils is brought to you by FanDuel. It is our number one sports book in America. Why? Well, new customers get the no-sweat first bet. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super, super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, three-point shots drained, and so much more. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. We've got a lot of action this weekend with the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Be on the lookout for that. The NBA continues to get closer to the postseason. Tons of reasons for you to have FanDuel in your life. Don't miss your chance to get the no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. As we move forward here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils, JJ Jackson alongside Brendan Marks of The Athletic. All right, teased it a moment ago. Uh, We've got a lot of conversations about year one for John Shire, and rightfully so. As we've gotten into the tournament picture, You guys have so much more access to the team, to the program, to other coaches on the staff. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you learned about the rest of the coaching staff from year one uh, under the John Shire era? Yeah, you know, I I think it's really, um, and this I think probably comes more from speaking to conversations with other staffs, um, both ones that I conventionally cover, and as you and I were discussing off the air, ones that I don't. You know, when you get a whole bunch of uh, schools and teams together, you know, you can see some interactions. 
the thing that I think impresses me the most about what John did this season and that I think has not made waves, but has certainly been noticed in the larger basketball community is how well he was able to cobble this thing together and make it coalesce in year one. So, you know, for starters, he goes out and the first three people that he hires, you know, he promotes Emil Jefferson, sure. He brings back Chris Carwell, sure. But the first three people he hires in Mike Schrage and Rachel Baker and Jay Lucas, you know, none of them are, are, are quote unquote Duke guys. You know, I know Schrage was there for a little bit before, but they're not, you know, Chris Carwell. They're not Emil <laughs> Jefferson. They, they weren't Duke captains. They didn't play here. And so for him to bring those people on immediately, those are the first three external hires that this guy makes really sent a message about how much he values diversity of thought, how much he truly wants to have a collaborative staff, um, how much he truly wants to rely on his assistant coaches. You know, I think you get certain coaches who, uh, especially ones who have been in that assistant seat for a while and are maybe not as familiar consulting with their head coach when they were an assistant, you know, they get to be in the big boy chair and then all of a sudden they don't, they don't really lean on their assistants as much. John did not do that. You know, when he was with Coach K, he was used to being leaned on, and he did the same thing with his staff. And the fact that he was able and willing to do that with three outsiders so immediately, um, I think, caught a lot of attention and, and in a positive way. Pretty great stuff, of course. We talk about Coach K's staff so frequently because his tree is so large, and so many former players come back. You're right with some of the uh, conversations last year. A name like Steve Wojciechowski was available, and you're connecting dots if a return to Durham could be in the cards for him. And um, now we get into the off-season mode. We'll see if any other opportunities come up for this coaching staff because now that's the first thing that John – he hasn't had to deal with one of these yet when, hey, you're a pretty successful guy. People really like your coaching staff. Now other teams might come and try and poach your fellows. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, I think. Um, you know, if you look at his staff, he does have – you know, so Chris Carroll, I think, is a huge benefit to him. And I love Chris. Um, he is incredibly transparent, honest. Like, he is – there is no veneer. Um, and, and I really respect that. I think a lot of times there are people who try and hide things. Chris is very straight up. And, um, you know, he obviously was with Coach K with several seasons, has now been with John as the associate head coach, really resonates on the recruiting trail, um, does a lot of work with Duke, Duke Wings, who, as we have seen, have had a lot of success. Um I don't know what his ambitions look like in terms of being a head coach. That was something that coach K always said that he wanted to have in his assistants. He wanted them to have those larger ambitions. And, you know, if Chris does terrific, but if he doesn't, I think that's something that's to John's benefit, you know, uh, again, not to compare the two programs too much, but Dean Smith had Bill Guthridge by his side for decades <laughs> and eventually Guthridge did get his shot in the head coach's seat, but that was incredibly beneficial for coach Smith. So I do think there's some value in having him. Emil Jefferson is still very young, still really early on in his coaching career. Um, if there was one guy who I think, you know, is probably the most likely to be poached, and it still is probably too early for him, it's Jay Lucas. The job he did organizing Duke's defense this season, the job that he did with Jeremy Roach, Tyrese Proctor, shifting Roach off ball. I mean, even the development we saw earlier in the season from Jalen Blakes, um, Jay does have those larger aspirations, and I, I think it might still be a little bit too early for him to maybe have his own program. But, you know, at this point next year, you're talking about a guy who will, will have spent multiple seasons at Texas with, with Rick Barnes, a guy who spent multiple seasons at Kentucky with John Calipari, and a guy who spent multiple seasons at Duke with John Shire. Um, I don't know what else you could ask for on the coaching resume. So 
Jay, Jay really helped himself, I think, in, in the eyes of the basketball community this season, rightfully so. And again, I don't know if this cycle will be the right time, but um, he is a future head coach in Lincoln. Seems pretty qualified for sure. So now another thing that this coaching staff has to uh, think about is what the roster is going to look like next year. They know they've got five scholarship freshmen coming into the fold, and now it turns into a little bit of scholarship math, Brendan, that you're so accustomed to charting and tracking over the years and that sort of thing. But uh, Duke does have their work cut out for them uh, because they've got some decisions to make. Players have a lot of decisions to make and that sort of thing. Yeah, they do. And, you know, obviously it's it's sort of wait and see on that front. Um, but, you know, there are five guys who could potentially stay or go and really six if you include Jeremy Roach, but the five freshmen and, you know, what they end up doing is going to is going to chart the course for next season. Um, you know, in some ways, I think it sort of lays the foundation for the next couple of years. You know, John wants to be bringing in elite talent, but he also wants to be bringing in elite talent that stays more than one season. Um, as we have seen, look at the teams that are left in the tournament. They are old, they are experienced, they've played multiple years together. That's just how you win nowadays. And last year's Duke team, which made it to the Final Four, was so overwhelmingly talented that they were able to sort of compensate for that and to win with youth. But even they had Wendell Moore, even they had Jeremy Roach and Mark Williams. So, you know, that is a goal of his. And so however many of these five he can get back, uh, of these six, I guess, we'll see. Um, but obviously, whoever decides to return, if they do decide to return, it is going to have massive consequences on what this roster looks like next season. Yeah, and you're hoping that they can take steps in their game moving forward, obviously, if they do make that decision to return for another season. And then you think about other scholarship players uh, in the program that didn't have as large of a role this year, but moving forward in their career is a greater opportunity there. Or do they think about the possibility of transferring and looking for a different home. And that's someone like Jalen Blakes or Jaden Shute and Christian Reeves. Yeah. And listen, you know, this is, I, I had a, a whole back and forth with uh, UNC Twitter earlier this week about this guys, guys are going to leave. Yeah. Guys are going to leave every year. And, you know, I know Duke is accustomed to guys leaving for the draft, but guys are going to leave in the portal. The days of players sticking around for four years and waiting for their shot just when they're a senior are unfortunately relics of the past it's just not realistic there's an opportunity there for these guys to go and to play immediately to get paid immediately doing nil um to put themselves in a better position long term and so do they maybe love the program yeah is a duke degree look really good when they're done yeah <laughs> but also at the end of the day th there are other opportunities they've got away and so you know i think it's it's going to be hard to see developmental pieces not just this off season but in in years to come leave and that's just something that the fan base has to get adjusted to. It is, um, you know, adapt or die sounds harsh, but, but that's the reality of the matter. So, you know, I, I know we talk about scholarship math and are they going to have enough? They're going to have enough. They're going to be fine. Enough guys are going to leave that Duke makes this work. And um, unfortunately, that's just, that's just part of the, the basketball cycle of life at the college level now. No kidding. Now the question just is, when do they leave? When do we get those answers? Because we want to know everything now, Brendan. We've got deadlines coming up, and we'll talk about a little bit of what this roster could look like next year uh, after our final timeout here on today's episode. Lockdown Blue Devils brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. March Madness is here, which means that the Built March Madness bracket is here as well. We know that you have a favorite Built Bar or Puff, and now's your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. 
you know that I'll be voting for the cookies and cream bar. I love that thing so much. It helps me get my day started each and every day. And if you want to be a part of the Duke community supporting the Cookies and Cream Built Bar, you can go to BuiltMarchMadness.com and cast your vote right now. If you vote for your favorite bar, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky winners will get a free box of Built. And not only that, but one Locked On listener will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. It's 100% chocolate. You really want to make sure this is a part of your life. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there as well. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. Final few moments here on today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils. JJ Jackson alongside my pal Brendan Marks of The Athletic. So, Brendan, talking about this Duke team going into next year, uh, looking at who could be there, what pieces are available, kind of got an answer right away from, from Ryan Young, who has become uh, such an interesting player to follow, an amazing personality that Duke men's basketball social staff has done a great job of capturing. One, what's it been like to, to get to know Ryan throughout the course of this season? Uh, and then two, what is it going to mean to the program next year? Well, you know, for one, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Ryan. Um, you know, he he's a grown man. Listen, you know, he's a grown up and uh, you can talk to him like an adult. And he, you know, I, I probably, other than Jeremy Roach, talked to Ryan Young the most this season of all of Duke's players. I mean, he is that insightful, that articulate, that, you know, just he gets it. He gets it from our perspective in terms of the media, in terms of things we're looking for. And, you know, in terms of what he brings to the program next year, I'd expect him to be a captain. And I don't know that he'll be a starter, but this is a dude that just wants to win. Yeah. Just wanted to get to the tournament, uh, you know, wanted to be in the tournament, won a game in the tournament this year. Now it's about seeing how far they can go next year. And, you know, I think he played a huge role in the development of Derek Lively, you know, depending on what happens with, with him and with Christian Reeves. I think that, you know, learning is going to continue. Um, but certainly, you know, Ryan, especially knowing that Jacob Grandison is now out of eligibility, Ryan is going to be the veteran on this team. And, you know, that's an invaluable role to have just in terms of somebody who's played a lot of games before. Absolutely. We'll see what Ryan Young's able to contribute to this team. And again, hopefully those funny videos continue to come out. I love him interviewing his teammates. You guys do some great interviews yourself, but it just feels like Ryan can get some of those questions asked that uh, not too many can, so that's pretty outstanding. <laughs> he, he's a little more in the know than we are. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. No doubt about that. All right, so uh, those five freshmen from this year's team that we mentioned, everyone wants to know, Brendan, so I got to ask you, I mean, ultimately, what do these decisions look like for those players in particular? Yeah, this is, this is where I spill the notebook, right, JJ? This is where I give <laughs> exactly. you guys the intel. Uh, you just got off the phone with all of them, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so you know, so listen. So um, all of these, uh, let me, I'll, I'll just start off. Not all these decisions are equal. Um, some of these are decisions that, quite frankly, have been, I don't want to say solidified, but um, expected and planned for for months in the future. Um, for some of these guys, it's something that was truly wait and see. For some of these guys, they came into this year thinking one thing would happen, and now it hasn't. So they're all different. At this point, it feels most likely that the following is going to happen. I, I firmly believe that both Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead are gone. Um, that's been my understanding and expectation most of the year. 
I think they both have first round potential. I will add that there has been some chatter about Derek Whitehead potentially coming back just because he did not necessarily help his stock this year with his injuries um, being relegated to a spot up shooting role. Um, did help himself in that first round tournament game against Oral Roberts, certainly, and being able to show that he can be a movement shooter. But this is a guy who had a lot of explosiveness and creation ability in high school. And we, we just didn't see a lot of that because of the injuries this year. So again, I believe he's gone. I believe Derek Lively's gone. Um, Lively's the one I feel most confident in, but Derek Whitehead, you know, there's maybe a 5% chance he's back. I'd say it's not very strong. So those are the two that I feel most confident are, are going to be, you know, in the NBA next season and probably via the first round. Yeah. The other three Duke has a legitimate chance to get back and Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell, and Tyrese Proctor, and all of them for different reasons. Mark Mitchell is a guy who has all of the NBA tools in the world. He does not have all of the NBA skill, at least from the NBA perspective right now. They want to see him, in terms of the raw numbers, his shooting percentages this year are not bad. In terms of how he got to those, teams want to see him be a more willing shooter. They want to see him be a more capable shooter. He has that elbow out jumper, which is, you know, going to require, you know, sanding it down a lot yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. next level. I mean, he's going to spend a lot of time with the shooting coaches. Um, but defensively, he has tremendous size. He's a pretty good athlete. Defensively, being able to switch one through five, he offers you some rim protection. He doesn't foul. Um, that's where his value is right now. The next step offensively is improving his handle, improving his shot, adding more skill to his game, and sort of rounding all of those things out which he would have the opportunity to do next season, certainly. So I believe it behooves Mark to come back. If he were to go right now, he would not be a first-round pick. Um, you're talking maybe in the 45 to 60 range. And for a guy who could play himself in the first-round range next year, I think that's important to know. The other, the other important backdrop to all of this is that the 2024 class is largely seen by scouts and decision-makers in the NBA as not being as strong as the 2023 class. Um, that's something that also helps Tyrese Proctor. So for Proctor, you know, uh, off, off court stuff aside, because it, these are obviously not even comparable situations, but what you saw with Primo in San Antonio, where he was a guy who was picked early out of Alabama, uh, was taken, I think, 12th overall. Basically, you're picking that guy a year early. There is some thought that teams could do that this year with Tyrese. But also, if he comes back, this is a guy who very well could play himself in the lottery. Right. Has legitimate size, is an expert in the pick and roll. He eats up drop coverage, really good passer, really good handler. We saw what he did in the second half against Tennessee. He was Duke's offensive dynamo and against you know the toughest defense they've played all year. The trick for him is going to be come back, adding more size, getting stronger, um, continuing to do what he did defensively the second half of his freshman year, and obviously just, just stringing the shot together more consistently. Uh, it definitely improves over the second half of the year, but it's hard for scouts to get past what happened at the first part. The third guy is Kyle Filipowski, and he is the one who is truly the, the largest decision to be made. Um, I do not know that he would be a first-round pick if he declared right now. He, scouts are torn on him. You talk yeah. to one, and they love him. They think he you know, has legitimate stretch four potential. They think that he can be an outside shooter. They like his handle. They like his aggressiveness driving. Um, some guys see him as Frank Kaminsky, and they think that he doesn't have that outside shot. Frank Kaminsky and Kelly Olynyk are the two names you hear a lot with him. Um, I think his handle's probably a little bit better than that, but his outside shooting maybe isn't. And so if he comes back, you're talking about probably being a preseason All-American, probably starting as the face of a top 10 team in the preseason, 
And the other thing that I think probably needs to be mentioned with Kyle, even to a larger extent than it is with Tyrese and Mark, is he is the first um, wildly successful – he has the chance to be the first wildly successful multi-year NIL player at Duke in the NIL era. Um, that is not something to be taken for granted. And so if I were him, I would probably come back. Yeah. Um, I, I understand the decision to go, but – it really seems like two and two right now with him as the lone decision that still has to be left to be made. Can't wait to see what happens. And obviously we'll be following your work all off season long at Brendan R Marks on Twitter and make sure you check out the athletic as well. As you know, this time of year with no more games to be watching for these particular teams, content can be harder to come by, not as plentiful, but you're always going to have remarkable coverage and that sort of thing. Give me one final plug for the athletic and what you got going on, Brendan. Yeah, you know, the season's over, but uh, things don't stop, like, like we've been talking about. It goes to roster decisions, it goes to the portal, it goes to coaching changes, it goes to, you know, getting to the bottom of some of those decisions with guys. And, um, you know, so, so really for me, the, the off season does not stop until the draft. So uh, there's plenty of stuff coming at the Athletic now through June. And, you know, if you haven't checked this out, we got a dollar a month promotion right now. So I, I wow. highly encourage it. What's the best way to get involved? Theathletic.com and you could sign up right there? Theathletic.com. Any story you see, uh, if you you know click on any of my stories on my Twitter page, uh, it's right there at Brendan R. Marks. Uh, you know, a dollar a month right now for new subscribers. Give it a try if you haven't already. You get my stuff. You get our whole college basketball team. You get every sport that we cover. Um, I'm biased, but I think we're the best sports writing in, in the world. Yeah, check it out for sure. Uh, good buddy Joe Persons got his hands full this time of year. Those Panthers in our state, the number one overall pick. I mean, that's what we're going to be keeping our eye on. In the coming weeks, super exciting stuff, man, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Joe and I, uh, Joe and I, actually were chatting last week about a, a potential Derek Whitehead feature that never came to be. So, uh, <laughs> one of those stories that falls into the story graveyard. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, well, Brendan, we'll do this again sometime soon. Okay, thanks for your time. Absolutely, thanks for having me. That's Brendan Marks of the Athletic, and he's joining us here on the program today. That's going to do it for Locked On Blue Devils here today. Thank you for your support. As always, what a fun week it was. The first week post the end of the Duke basketball season has come to a close. We've got more coverage coming your way again on Monday. That'll do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you on Monday. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.